If y'all would please stand for the gospel reading. This is John 4, 1 through 26. And this is God's word to us this morning. Now, when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee, and he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, so Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink, for his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews had no dealings with Samaritans. And Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. And Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up, to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not, have to, will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Jesus said to her, Go, call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, You are right in saying I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, and you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know, and we worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ, and when he comes, he will tell us all things. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. The gospel of our Lord Christ. May be seated. Um, it is a real joy for me to be here with you all. I know many of you already, and um, I'm really thankful for this opportunity and thankful just to see what God has done and is doing through this body of believers in my backyard, because I literally live right behind the church, so this is a short trip. Um, Let me pray for us, and we'll get started. Father, I thank you for your word, uh, especially this passage, because I need to hear it, and uh, I don't know that I could ever hear it enough, and I think the same is true for my friends here. And so I pray that you would speak to us through this word and that you would change us. Lord, be, be so kind as to not leave us the same as when we came in here this morning, and uh, that you would pierce our ears and our hearts and our minds and our eyes and our very lives with what you have said to this woman and what you are saying to us 
through your word that speaks to us forever. And um, we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So um, imagine many of y'all are watching the Olympics, and that's been uh, a joy, although not as great a joy as the Summer Olympics is. But um, the story that I've been just really captivated by is, y'all may have heard of this, Esther Ledecka. She's the women's super G skier from the Czech Republic. I don't know if y'all have heard this story. Um, she won the Super G gold by 0.01 seconds over the reigning champion, and it was one of the biggest upsets in Olympic history, and here's why. Um, one, Lindsey Vaughn, the most accomplished skier in U.S. women's Olympic history and the world, um, she was in the field, as was the defending champion from Austria. Um, this woman, Esther Ledecka, was... Um, She's Czech, and the Czech Republic has never won gold in the history of alpine skiing. And more interestingly, though, she is a snowboarder. And her first ski competition was in 2016. Her highest downhill ski finish was seventh place, coming two months before the Games, two months ago. And so she wins gold here. And she was using hand-me-down skis. So pretty pretty amazing. Um, And... You know, a similar thing is going on in our passage in that uh, a couple weeks ago, I know Brent preached on um, Jesus encountering Nicodemus. And so here, we are just one chapter later, but we're transitioning down the scale of human history, or sort of human value uh, pretty far in the eyes of a lot of people. We go from Nicodemus, who's a ruler, and he's, he's really somebody, and we go down to this woman of Samaria who, uh, to a lot of people then, was... A lot of devout Jews was a nobody. And her life had been very difficult. Um, Nobody would have wanted her life. She was a moral failure. And in general, um, even if she wasn't, like I said, most devout Jews would not have really wanted anything to do with her because Samaritans were unclean and inferior. Um, They even went as far as the Jews who had to travel through Samaria to get to where they were going went as far as to adding many miles to their journey to go around Samaria so that they didn't have to interact with anybody there. And so this woman goes out to this well to draw water by herself, and she sees a poor Jewish man sitting there by himself. And so she does not have high expectations for any interaction. And if there was any expectation of interaction, it would not be a positive one, most likely. She has no idea that this conversation that she is about to have with Jesus is even going to happen, or that it's going to be positive, or that it's going to change her life. Um, and we have a lot in common with this woman. And what, what do I mean by that? Well, if we're honest, uh, like her, we are dissatisfied with some aspects of our lives, uh, maybe some aspects of ourselves. And it seems like that what we need or want to make life work is always just a little bit out of reach. You know, we're, we go to bed at night thinking, well, if this thing will just work out, or if this other thing just comes through, then... You know, then I can rest, then we will have arrived, then we'll be safe, then everything will be okay. Um, but everything and everyone up to this point has sort of overpromised and underdelivered. Um, and I think if we're honest too, even those of us who are in Christ, sometimes we don't expect very much for a conversation with Jesus. Uh, we don't expect that he necessarily even wants to talk with us. And if he does, we're sort of bracing ourselves because it's probably not going to be positive. He's probably going to have some things to say about our lives that we uh, are going to be very difficult to hear, we think. And so um, 
we have a lot more in common than maybe we initially thought. And so we need to hear this conversation between Jesus and this woman today uh, because Jesus satisfies her soul thirst. Um, the things that she was looking for in life and didn't know where to find them, he satisfies her in those deep places that she is burying and, and pushing down and trying not to think about it because they're painful. And he offers the same thing to us this morning. And so how does he do this? How does he satisfy thirsty sinners? Um, we're going to look at this sort of three-step process. One, um, he engages our desire for living water. He engages our desire, and then he exposes our need for living water. And then he gives it to us. And so in our passage first, you know, the verses kind of 6 through 15 is this first part where Jesus arouses her curiosity. Um, curiosity reveals something about a person. Curiosity is this strong desire to know something. I want to know if this thing is true. And if the, the strength of the curiosity is deep enough and touches a nerve enough, that, that can reveal a lot about our desires or our hopes. The more interested we are in something, probably the stronger ties we have to wanting that thing to be true and that really impacting our life. And so this woman goes out alone to the community well in the heat of the day and finds Jesus, a Jewish man, sitting by himself with nobody, nothing with him, no tool to get water out of this well in a Samaritan town. And so that is strange, and that piques her interest. Um, so this man did not avoid this town, did not avoid these people, but here he sits. And so her curiosity has peaked a little bit. And then her curiosity ramps up when Jesus asks if she will give him a drink from her container. Because as our passage tells us, um, Jews did not do that. Uh, if we want to understand kind of the equivalent of that, something that's maybe a little bit more relatable to us, think about a white man asking a black woman for a sip of her water at a diner in Montgomery, Alabama in 1952. Okay, that's kind of what we're talking about here. Um, she was in a different section of humanity um, that was less than. And so here is this man who sits by the well and he asks her, can I have a drink of your water? So now her curiosity is piqued even more. There's a Jewish man that's interacting with her and it's not to tell her that she's trash. And so with this one request, Jesus has done two things. He has put her in a position of power and he has identified with her. He has dignified her. And that is not what she was expecting. So she says, how are you asking me for a drink? Your people don't think very much of my people. And so Jesus takes the opportunity to fuel that curiosity even further by saying, if you knew the gift of God, the gift of living water that he has for you, and who I am that is sitting before you now, you would have asked me for the gift of God. And here's the thing. I would have given it to you. So now he's telling her that God has a gift for her and that he, this Jewish man, is the bestower of this gift and he wants to give it to her. All that she has to do is ask. This is very strange indeed. This is not at all what she was expecting. Jesus chose his words very strategically. He said living water, and in that time living water carried a double meaning. Living water could be like this well water, a, an actual spring of water that's coming out from the ground, a source of water. Or 
uh, the Jews talked about the Torah or the Word of God being living water. And so teachers of the Torah were wells of living water. And so Jesus is um, piquing her interest, and he doesn't allow this double meaning to stay ambiguous for long. Um, But this woman doesn't rejoice at this offer. Um, It sounds a little too good to be true. She's suspicious, and understandably so. Um, She she essentially says, sir, no offense, um, but you can't even get yourself water from this well. So how are you going to get me any kind of special water from some other place that we've never heard of? Um, This well is the best that we have, and it's been the best that we've had for a long time. And so if you're telling me there's something better out here, I'm going to need to see something before before I allow myself to start to believe you. But As we sense her weariness, um, there's also something encouraging here. She doesn't hang up the phone, right? She stays in front of him, and she wants to hear what he has to say because there is a hunger there. She, She doesn't necessarily want to let herself believe that there's anything that could be true about what he's saying yet, but she, she does. She wants that. She's standing there waiting for him to answer. And he does, and he turns her curiosity up to 11 with what he says next. Um, He talks about a kind of soul thirst, and he says, everyone who drinks from this well is going to be thirsty again, but whoever drinks from the water that I give them will never be thirsty forever. And that word forever is also a double meaning. That can either mean a lifetime or for all eternity, but either way, it's very interesting what he's talking about here. And then he says, the living water that I give you will become a spring welling up inside of you to eternal life. And so now, um, very clearly, we are not talking about drinking water. He has taken this conversation into a spiritual realm where he is talking about a lot deeper things than drinking water. And she says, sir, give me this water. Give me this water so that I will not be thirsty and will not have to come here anymore. She has no idea what he's talking about, really. Um, but what he's talking about is really interesting to her. She has no idea what he's talking about, but he has struck a chord in her. He has struck a chord with his presence and his words. And she doesn't have to understand it. She doesn't care. She just wants whatever that is because she is worn out and she is thirsty for something deeper. And so this promise, even though it may be too good to be true, um, she has outed herself that she is hungry. She is thirsty for something more than she's ever experienced before. Uh, Theologian William Hendrickson calls this soul thirst a craving for ultimate rest and satisfaction. And I don't know about y'all, but that resonates with me. A craving for rest and ultimate satisfaction. Um, it's like what's going on if, if y'all have seen Shawshank Redemption, and there's Red, who's Morgan Freeman's character, and he's been in the prison for a long time, and so he's sort of had, you know, he's wearied by his experience in Shawshank, and he has had life and hope kind of beat out of him, and here comes Andy Dufresne, a man who's falsely accused, and he's got himself in Shawshank for life without chance of parole, and he comes and he starts talking about hope. And Red says this to him, Hope, let me tell you something, my friend. Hope is a dangerous thing. Hope can drive a man insane. 
It's got no use on the inside. And then you watch as Andy's words and his life change Morgan Freeman, change Red to where he is, he is opening up to this possibility of hope. It is touching a nerve inside of him. But I think what I want to take from that scene from Shawshank is that we are a lot like Red. Um, we have lived through disappointment, disillusion, and pain enough that the safest thing that we can do is bury um, this soul thirst, this hunger for something more. And so we bury it and we try to cover over it with things that we think we can get for ourselves. But the problem is that those things don't satisfy the thirst that we have. And so that can be a lot of different things. And for most of us, it's many different things. But the reality is that, like Jesus said, we will always be thirsty again. We will always be thirsty again because you and I can never have enough money. We can never have enough power. We can never have enough sex. We can never have enough physical fitness. We can never have enough affirmation or safety or achievement. So whatever it is that we are searching for and putting all of our chips in on, um, that thing is not going to satisfy because there is no end. That bucket is empty. Uh, There is a hole in the bottom, and it will always leak out, and there will never be a day that we oftentimes think that there will when we wake up and we wipe the sweat off our brow and say, finally, we did it. Finally, my life is complete and I'm going to be happy forever. Um, You know the same that I do, that 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 isn't going to happen. Uh, But we keep trying, and that's what's so interesting. It's like we are trying to get hydrated by drinking salt water. And the weird thing is that we keep doing it. We do it over and over and over again. And why do we do it? Because we have a problem. We have a problem, a condition that makes us want to drink salt water over and over and over again. And that's what Jesus gets to when he moves into this next phase of giving this woman this soul thirst satisfaction, he, he addresses the deep need that she has for this living water. It's not just a desire, it is a need. She needs this. So the woman takes him up on his offer, she asks for the gift of God, and then it seems like Jesus pulls this bait and switch. And he's like, oh, you're in? Great. Okay, well now, one more thing, go get your husband. And it's like, you know, mic drop, conversation killer, Um, and she says, you know, without missing a beat, she says, I don't have a husband. And she would would make a great attorney because that's true. She doesn't have a husband, and she wants to keep the conversation rolling. Um, But what he says next really amazes and horrifies her at the same time. He just blows her up. He says, you know, that's true. You don't have a husband, and what makes it true is that you've had five And the man that you're living with now is not your husband. Maybe he's somebody else's husband. So what you said is true. It's just not what's relevant to what we're talking about. And now she's just exposed. She is fully exposed before him. And she doesn't fight the accusation that she is uh, an immoral person. She is a sinner. She is somebody that has a sin problem. We don't know all the details of what her life circumstances were, but we do know from the context that She is living an immoral life. And she says, the way you're talking about spiritual stuff and seeing into my soul and everything, I perceive that you are a prophet. And so what she does next is really strange to us. Um, She launches into this weird, different direction with this question. Um, You know, I've been wondering, where is the true place 
that we are to worship God? Is it like what my ancestors say and here on this mountain, or is it like what, what your ancestors say and the Jewish people say? Is it over there? You know, I don't really know. Like, what is she doing here? And I think what she's doing here is something that we do a lot, which is, you know, maybe if I don't fully understand how God is speaking to us and what he's asking of me, then he won't keep me on the hook for all the ways in which I just live my life on my own terms and don't obey him. So maybe if I can just pretend that I'm thoroughly confused and I can't find somebody to help me answer this question, oh, well, I hope I find the answer one day, but until I do, I'm just going to do whatever I feel like. Because there's a part of her that doesn't want to know the answer, right? And there's a part of us that doesn't want to know the answer. We want it all to stay cloudy so that we can do whatever we feel like. And say, well, you know, God's going to have to have mercy on me because I just didn't understand. You know, I didn't know. I was doing the best I could. Um, and so we got to ask ourselves at this point, you know, we, we keep hearing about how Jesus is so loving. But this doesn't feel like a very loving thing, does it? If Jesus is so loving, why is he putting this pressure point on the deepest source of her shame and exposing her sin like this? But the thing that we have to see is that this is the most loving thing he could do. Why? Well, for two reasons. One is this woman keeps trying to hydrate herself with seawater. She has a problem. She has a heart condition like we do that is making her want to drink seawater all the time. And that is not good for you. That is not good for you. Um, And what he is showing her here and us is what is loving, which is true, is that it is not where she was born. It is not her education level. It is not her ethnicity. It is not her socioeconomic status that disqualifies her from a relationship with God. It is her sin. It is her sin. And he has to expose this sin, one, to show her that she is spiritually dead. You have a problem. You are not okay. Um, It is impossible for our soul thirst to be satisfied when we are an enemy of our creator. It is not going to happen. It is not going to happen. She wants this living water on her own terms, independent of God. And this living water is a gift, but it is not a gift that can be received on your own terms. We're going to get into that in a minute. But secondly, she needs to understand that her sin does not disqualify her from receiving this gift. That there is something that can happen that can still allow her to receive this gift. She has been fully laid bare all of her secrets, all of her shame, all of her sin before Jesus. And guess what? The offer that he came with is not rescinded. He did not pack up and leave. He is still standing right there in front of her, engaging her in conversation, even after he knows everything. And that's powerful. And she needed to know that, and we need to know that. Um, I've, I've worked, I spent some summers working as a camp counselor, and the camp where I worked was seven to 13 year olds, and they would come stay with us for a month at a time. And they had their little uh, bunks and their laundry bags. They would hang off their mesh laundry bags that would hang off their bunks. And so, with the seven year olds especially, um, every once in a while, kids would soil themselves while they were sleeping. And seven, that's a little too old to be doing that. And so, they would be ashamed and they would hide their soiled underpants and pajamas in the bottom of that mesh laundry bag and not tell anyone. And guess what? 
that did not get, a, did not get rid of the filth or the shame. It just kept it right there in front of them constantly. It was hanging over their bed. It was this foul odor that encompassed their entire living space. And so what needed to happen is they needed to expose it to the right person. Not to their friends who make fun of them, but they needed to go to their counselor who loved them and tell them what happened so that what could happen? So that the counselor could take that laundry bag and all of that filth and take it to the washing machine and get rid of it so that they would be free of it. And that's what we have to do. That is the same call on our lives. Because what we often like to do is we like to take this stuff that we think is going to keep us from life and keep us from God and keep us from other people, these secret habits that we have and these events that have occurred in our lives, and we want to bury that stuff as deep as we can in the closet. And then we just prayerfully and anxiously watch Jesus and other people walk around the house of our lives and pray that they do not open the door to that closet. Please do not find out what is, what is behind that door. Because if you do, I will be ruined. You will leave me, you will shun me, and I will be utterly ruined. But the reality is, whatever that thing is that we are keeping in the closet, that we pray that nobody ever finds, that is what is keeping us from having our souls satisfied. Because like that kid at camp, We have got to take that stuff to the only one who can do anything about it. And until we do, we will never experience what he is talking about here with this soul soul thirst-quenching satisfaction that he has to offer. And so uh, what that does when you do that is it opens the door finally to receiving this gift, to receiving living water. And so in our last section here, verses 21 to 26, that's what Jesus is doing with her. Um, There's a lot here, so I just want to hit on what's most relevant to us. Jesus essentially says this. He says, pay close attention. This is not about outward conformity to God's revealed will. This is about an intimate love relationship with the God who created you, the sovereign king of the universe. He is seeking. What does it mean that God is seeking? Does it mean that God is just out there wringing his hands, hoping, please, can I find somebody? I just want to find somebody that that wants to worship me. No, this is the God of the universe. And so when he is seeking, make no mistake, he will find always what he seeks. He is going, he is sending his son, and Jesus has left everything to seek and save and redeem the sons and daughters of God. That's what that means. So God is confidently seeking because he will find them. And what is he looking for? True worshipers. What does that mean, true worshiper? That means someone whose outward conformity to God's revealed will flows from a heart of love for God. Your insides match your outsides. That's what we're talking about when we talk about true worshipers. And Jesus goes on to define that a little further and says, those who worship in spirit and truth. What, is, what does that mean? What are we talking about, spirit and truth? Well, truth, that there is objective truth in the world. There is objective truth about God and about humanity and about the story of humanity and why things are the way that they are. And Jesus says in John fourteen six, I am the truth, and no one comes to the Father except through me. So only through Jesus Christ can someone know this objective reality 
about the world and come to Christ, to come to God the Father and worship him rightly in truth. Okay, so what about spirit? Spirit is, a, is the source of our thoughts, of our feelings, of our wills. And Jesus has been talking about living water that will dwell inside of us and satisfy us. So what is this living water? It's a person. It is the Holy Spirit of God. It is the Spirit of Christ. John 37, 37 through 39 says, On the last day of the feast, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, whoever believes in me, as the Scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. He is talking about the same thing here. And it goes on to say, Now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. The Spirit of God will align our spirit's thoughts and feelings and will with the truth of God revealed in Jesus Christ. This is the gift. The gift that Jesus has been talking about this whole time is that the God of the universe will come and dwell inside of us. He will dwell inside of us and us inside of him. Theologians call that union with Christ. And the woman says, I know that the Messiah is coming, and when he shows up, he's going to explain everything. And Jesus says, I am the Messiah. I am God. And so this whole encounter has built to this incredible, wild climax, which is this. The woman's sin has been laid bare. Jesus didn't leave. The offer of God's free gift of living water has not been rescinded, and Jesus is not who she thought he was. There's this growing understanding of who he is. First, he's just a Jewish man. And then he is a particularly good and nice Jewish man. And then he is a prophet. And now he is Messiah. He is the God of the universe standing before her, showing and telling her that she is fully known and fully loved by God. And that is what will change a person's life. That is what will satisfy the thirst of our souls, to be fully known and fully loved by God. Um, C.S. Lewis, in his sermon, The Weight of Glory, talks about this, this desire and the satisfaction of this desire. Um, and I think he, he talks about it in a way that I've never heard anyone else be able to put words to like this. But he says, uh, what more, may you ask, do we want? We want so much more. We don't want merely to see beauty, though God knows even that that is bounty enough to see it. We want something else which can hardly be put into words. We want to be united with the beauty that we see, to pass into it, to receive it into ourselves, to bathe in it, and to become a part of it. At present, we are on the outside of the world, the wrong side of the door. We discern the freshness and purity of mourning, but we do not, that does not make us fresh and pure. We cannot mingle with the splendors that we see, but all the leaves of the New Testament are wrestling with the rumor that it will not always be so. Someday, God willing, we shall get in. And that's it right there. That is the explanation of what Jesus is talking about, of what we are desiring for, and what he is offering for us to quench that desire. Nothing is ever enough because it's not enough to have it near us. It's not enough to experience it or see it or touch it. We want it to be bonded to it. We want to be with it. We want to be in it and it in us. We want to be fully in, as C.S. Lewis says here. And so when you and I are filled with the Holy Spirit of God, fully known and fully loved by God, 
we are set free from the bondage to these old wells that just made us more thirsty. And we are free to set the other people in our lives free. You know, I don't need to come to my wife and my kids and my friends and my employer and whoever else and make them these little wells that I'm constantly trying to draw from to get life, to get affirmation, to get safety, to get whatever it is I think that they can offer me that I'm really hungry and thirsty for. Because I'm full. And so now, instead of people being little wells that I try to use and take, 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 take from, and I'll I'll give too so that um, they'll stick around and I can take some more. Now I have in me springs of water that flow, overflow. My cup is overflowing and flowing out into the lives of others. And so now instead of taking, I can give. And really love people for the first time because I don't need them. I don't need them to satisfy some desire in me. I'm satisfied in Christ, and I can give freely. And they can be filled by Christ that dwells in me and will dwell in them. So all this sounds great, but how is it possible? Um, if If we know anything about God, we know that he is perfectly just, perfectly righteous. He cannot be united with sin. So what in the world are we talking about that he can fully know and fully love sinners and be united with them, live inside of them? And them live inside of him. Well, the way that that's possible is because Jesus became thirsty. Jesus became thirsty on our behalf so that we could be satisfied and never thirst again. What am I talking about? John 19, 28 through 30. Jesus, hanging on the cross, says, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said to fulfill the scripture, I'm thirsty. And he was physically thirsty, but he was also spiritually thirsty. He was separated from God. This deep, intimate love that he is offering this woman, he is not experiencing for the first time because he has all the weight of the sin of all of God's people for all eternity on him. And he is separated from God. And he says, I thirst. And they gave him a a jar full of sour wine, stood there, so they put a sponge full of the sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. And when Jesus had received it, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. So Jesus, the only man who ever lived a perfect life from the heart, took the wrath of God on him that we deserved and suffered and died in our place on the cross so that we could have life. And so now that that's true and we've been reconciled, there's been a way made for us to be reunited with God. How How do we do that? How does... That become possible. And Jesus shows us at the beginning of our passage with how he came to this woman. You go to the source. You go to the source of that water. You're honest about your thirst, your desire, and your need for it. You humble yourself to ask for it. And you ask believing that the one you are asking will give it to you because he promised that he would. And that's true whether you're asking for the first time or you're asking for the 10,000th time. That is true. Pray with me. Father, we are so thankful that you are who you are. Lord, we are in desperate need of a satisfaction of our soul's thirst. We have looked and we continue to look everywhere except for the source of water, the source of life. And you in your great mercy and great love and great grace and great patience 
You have made a way for us to be satisfied in you, only in you. And I pray that you would pierce our hearts and that we would run to you for that satisfaction. And we would celebrate the fact that you are good and you keep your promise to fill us. In Jesus' name, amen.